You know Zuby got deplatformed? He got kicked off of Twitter? This is crazy. Zuby is a musician. Uh, he's a rapper from the UK um, who's uh, been on the podcast. I mean, the dude doesn't even swear. And someone said, I bet I sleep with more women than you do, to which he writes, okay, dude. And they decided by him saying, okay, dude, okay. that is grounds for being banned okay, from Twitter. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> oh, you don't like my style? Okay, dude. Oh, you don't like my lyrics? Okay, dude. Oh, you don't like my politics? Okay, dude. Do you even know what knowledge is? Okay, dude. You absolutely exploded mm. on social media, identifying as a woman <laughs> doing a deadlift. Tell yeah. me about that. I actually had the video. The video that went viral was already on my phone from one of my training sessions the previous year. So I just took this video and I just put a tweet out saying, I keep hearing about how biological men have no strength advantage over women in 2019. So watch me destroy the British women's deadlift record without trying. P.S. I identified as a woman whilst lifting the weight. Don't be a bigot. Within 10 minutes, I had 10,000 views. Wow. And then 20, 30, 50. Within an hour, it had about 80,000 views. And it just kept going all day, going, going. And I was seeing it started getting retweeted by some really high-profile people in different countries. Because you're looking through the notifications, it's like, Piers Morgan retweeted this. So and so retweeted this. This uh, and it just kept going. People were commenting in different language. I was just by the time I went to by evening, it was at three hundred thousand views. I wake up the following day, half a million, and it just keeps going. And then um, that same week, I started getting contacted by media channels. You know, BBC contacted me and said, "Oh, we'd like to chat to you about this on BBC Radio. We've seen your viral video. Like, let's chat about this." Uh, the Sunday Times wrote an article on it. Um, I start getting people reaching out in the USA, like Fox News and so on. And then one day I wake up and my phone is blowing up. And everyone's like, yo, Joe Rogan just talked about you on his podcast. Like, Joe, I was just like, wait, like, what is what is going on? And I go on Twitter and I've got a DM from Joe Rogan saying like, dude, that's the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> like, like, that was brilliant. And he's now following me. And so this, it's like a snowball. Yeah. It just kept going. Welcome to The Eventful Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Dodge, and I'm the CEO and founder of the Bournemouth Sevens Festival and the revolutionary Event Crowd, our new online events course. On this podcast, I speak to fascinating people who have all lived eventful lives. So if you want to hear more like this, make sure you subscribe, leave us a glowing review, and you can follow me on Instagram at Dodge Woodall. I reply to every single message. Zuby is an independent rapper, author, podcast host, public speaker, creative entrepreneur, and an Oxford University graduate with over 1 million followers on social media. He became a viral sensation in 2019 when he filmed himself breaking the British women's deadlift record whilst identifying as a woman. Since then, he got invited on The Joe Rogan Show, BBC News, Fox News, Sky News, and countless other media outlets across America. Zuby hosted the Urban Tent at Bournemouth Sevens, and I've known him for many years. So it's been wild watching his global success over the past few years. This is the eventful life of Zuby. Zuby, welcome to the show, mate. Hey, Roger. Good to see you, bro. Yeah, really good. I'm uh, really looking forward to this one. We've known each other for a good six, seven, eight years, I think, from the gym and uh, from the festival. We'll, we'll go into that. Let's roll all the way back. Where did you grow up? And how did you get into the music industry, podcast industry, becoming an author, and everything else you've done? Yeah, okay, well, that's a huge question. So mm. I'll start, roll it all the way back. Mm. I was born in the UK, in England, Luton to be precise. Mm. Not everybody knows that. And when I was one, I moved to Saudi Arabia. My dad got an opportunity to work out there. He's a medical doctor, so he was a doctor for a big oil company. So. All my earliest memories actually begin in Saudi Arabia. I went to preschool there and then from kindergarten up until fifth grade. So that's age five up until 11. I was in school there. I went to an international slash American school. So that's why my accent confuses everybody because mm. I've never actually had a British accent before. Mm. Um, it's from growing up primarily in Saudi. When I was 11, I actually went to boarding school back here in the UK 
first of all in Surrey for a couple of years. Then I went to a school in Bristol. What school was that in Surrey? Uh, called Cranley Prep School. Oh, lovely. Yeah, so... Really like Guildford Godalming. Yeah, near Guildford, okay, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so I was, I was there for two years and then I went to Clifton College in Bristol. Mm. Did really well in school, got into Oxford University. I went there and studied computer science. And it's actually when I was in Oxford that my music career started. So I started rapping just as a hobby in my first year as university. I've been a hip hop and rap fan since I was about 12 or 13 years old, but I'd never tried making my own music. Who are your heroes? Ooh. Um, let's Biggie. see. I'm actually more of a Tupac guy. Than Tupac. It. Let's see. <laughs> T -t Tupac, Nas, Jay-Z, yeah. Tech 9 Um, I'm thinking Eminem. It's probably my top five. Mm. That's probably my top nice. five right there. Yeah. Nice. I like a lot of artists though. I listen mm. to a lot of artists. So you were studying, you were studying at Clifton College, really good college in Bristol. Mm. And then what made you go to the Oxford route? I'm, I'm smart. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I could. Did you nail all, I could. What, what A levels do you do? You nail all your A levels, A stars, no doubt. Yeah, I got twelve A star GCSEs and four A's at A level. <laughs> wow. Flawless. Fair yeah. play. I only took yeah. five GCSEs. <laughs> five C's. There you go. Hey, and man. an A star in PE. Hey, there you go, man. Well, that's the one that that's the one that mattered the most. So um, yeah, you know, I I I breezed through school honestly, yeah. and then I figured, you know, I may as well go to the best university that I'm capable of going mm. to. Uh, going to Oxford is not something that's it's not easy to get into, um, but I knew I could, and so I did. I actually had six interviews to get into that university. Is that right? Six interviews. Why? It was, it Why? was intense. I had I had interviews with three different colleges, and each of them I had two interviews for. So most people actually have two or three. I somehow ended up with six. I don't know anyone else who's had six. Interviews. Is that six interviews to get actually into the college to say, you know what, Zuby, we'd like you to come on board? Uh, yeah, because. The interviews at the Oxford and Cambridge interviews are are, are pretty hardcore. Mm. Um, it's not just like, you know, sit down and tell us about yourself and mm. your future. It's like, how many sides and vertices does a four-dimensional cube have? How many? And you're sitting there at, se at 17 <laughs> years old, like, um, <laughs> four-dimensional? Like oh, so they're testing you? They're testing you. Oh, wow. They, they want to see how your brain works. Oh, wow. Right? They'll, you know, give you an equation and say, you know, can you plot this graph on the whiteboard? Um, they'll ask you to, you know, give, they'll give you math problems and logic okay. problems and stuff like that. And it's actually, it, it's actually really intense in hindsight. Yeah, um, you know, it's like yourself and Was there any some common them, sense questions in there? Or was it all intellect? It, it was, so I, I did computer science. Yeah. So I think depending on what you study, the way they do the interviews is quite different. For me, it was very mathematics, maths based and kind of logic based, mm. I'd say. And... They, they want you to kind of do your workings out loud because I think they want to just see how you work through a difficult a difficult problem. Yeah. Um, so it's mostly two-on-one interview, sometimes three-on-one, mm. which is, uh, yeah, I don't want to do that again. I'm, oh. I'm glad. <laughs> why did you choose Why did you choose Oxford? Was that the one, like, so you got Oxford, Cambridge, mm -hmm. and obviously Loughborough, mm. I went the sports one. Did you choose that because you knew you were super clever and that was just what? It was, it was, best, it, universe, was it, best university in the country. Yeah. So but was, thought, it, was that guided by best. your parents? No, not really. Oh, okay. Not really. Um, yeah, I, I know they're they're proud and happy that I went there, mm. but I wasn't directly pushed towards Oxbridge. Mm. It was just that, you know, let me let me let me do the best that I can do. And I, I like the city. I actually I visited I visited quite a few universities. Mm. I visited uh, you know LSE, UCL, mm. um, Birmingham, Bristol, Oxford, and, and I actually love the city as well. When I got there, I just felt it's, yeah. it's a beautiful city. There's yeah. something magical. I used to have two nightclubs about there. it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. For okay. About six years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a very beautiful city. And um, obviously, there's so much history there. So many incredibly successful and famous people throughout mm. history have studied there. I don't know how many prime ministers they've mm. produced and scientists and so on. So I thought, let, let me let, let me go for it. Mm. Let me go for it. So, did you have something in mind going, I'm going to do computer studies, but I've got something in mind at the end? No, I didn't know okay. at the time because I wasn't making music when I went to university. Okay. So I started once I got there yeah. um, and it started really randomly. I was actually flying from the UK to Nigeria and I had a layover in Paris and I actually got stuck there for about 24 hours. I was by myself. I was, I was bored. I didn't How old roughly? 18. Okay. And um, I, had an, I had my MP3 player, which had some songs on it and some beats and I literally had a notepad and I just started jotting down I started writing a, I just started writing a verse yeah. I wrote my first rap verse and Do you remember what it was 
Ooh, I wouldn't be able to recite it. Uh, I wouldn't be able to recite okay. it. But, um, you know, I, I did that. And then I was in Nigeria for about a month. And while I was there, I I wrote a few more verses mm -hmm. and I recorded them just acapella into my phone. And I showed them to my siblings and some of my cousins and stuff who are around. And they were like, oh, that's that's interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's kind of cool. And then actually when I got back to got back to the UK and I was in university, one of my friends, Chris, who lived on the same floor as me he, in my college, he had a very basic recording studio in his dorm room. Mm. So there was a website called soundclick.com. It was kind of like before SoundCloud and mm. YouTube were what they are now. And artists and producers would put songs and beats up there. So I downloaded a few beats off of the internet and I wrote a song to a beat. The song was called The Bad Man. So that was my first ever song. Mm. And so I, I recorded this in my friend's dorm room and then I just, you know, attached it to an email and sent it to friends and family and was just playing it to people. And I got really positive feedback. People mm. were like, dude, like that's, that's pretty cool. You know, yeah. that's like, that's something you should do more of. So I kept doing it. I did another two songs called one called Oh No and one called Tonight. Um, and then by about 10 months in, I actually had enough songs to put an album together. So I put together an eight track EP slash album called Commercial Underground. I got one of my friends to take a photo of me, which I used for the cover. I got a graphic designer to put it all together so that it would it would look proper. Yeah. And um, I, I put that out and I did it all independently. I started with just making 50 copies to begin with and I sold the 50 copies in a week. And then I took that money and I was like, all right, let me make 200. So yeah. I made 200. And over the course of the next few weeks, I, I managed to sell all of those. And then I went, let me do a run of a thousand. Mm -hmm. um, so I got a thousand, you know, these boxes and boxes of CDs. This is back in 2006. Yeah. So this is when, you know, <clears throat> CDs were really the primary way of mm. consuming music. No streaming at this time. Uh, iTunes was kind of in its very mm. early days. And that's when I started, um, I spent the summer I think it was summer 2006 I, was, I stayed in the UK for. And that's when I started selling, doing the street selling. I remember. Yeah, that's when I started street selling. Down in Bournemouth? Everywhere. Everywhere. I, the first place, I, I started it in Oxford and London. Okay. I started in Oxford and London and I just go out there and talk to people. Yeah. Uh, talk to people, introduce myself, play them, my, play them my music through my headphones. And to start with, I was selling my CDs for five pounds each, mm. e each copy. And I, I sold hundreds and I, no, I think I, I think I sold at least a thousand copies over mm. the summer. Mm. And I started to actually sell, I used to sell my CDs in Leicester Square. Mm. So that was, uh, you know, I moved on from Corn Market Street in Oxford to going yeah. to Leicester Square, which is, you know, it's very busy, mm. thousands of people rushing around. Mm. And it was actually really intimidating the first time going I out bet. there. I remember just like being there with my backpack of CDs yeah. and being like, oh gosh, like yeah. I need to talk to strangers and try to sell, try to empty out this backpack. What sort of, okay, that's, that's a difficult business what you're doing. I remember seeing on the streets yeah. and selling and chatting to people, listening to my headphones. What sort of reaction did you get from people? The whole, the whole spectrum. Because that's very, very new. It's very mm. like, it doesn't happen in England very <laughs> often. Someone's selling CDs in the street and say, here, whack the headphones on, have a listen, tell me yeah. your thoughts are, do you want to buy it? Yeah. I love yeah. it. I love what you were doing, but tell me what was the feedback? Yeah, it was... It was, I mean, mostly positive. I mean, uh, over the course of time, over the years, I mean, I spoke to probably approaching half a million people. Mm. So a, a, a ridiculous number of people. So within that, you get it. You get a huge spectrum. Mm. You know, most people are reasonably, you know, reasonably polite. Not, you know, I, I'd say, okay, if you, if I talk to out of 10 people, uh, maybe... 40% would stop. Yeah. Out of the 40% who stop, maybe 25 to 30% would buy. Okay. So if I wanted to- uh, So three so in can, 10 would buy a CD off you? So, something like that. It, it, it varied on the city and from day to day. Sometimes, mm. you know, I'd have days where I'd be on fire and then like every yeah. third or fourth person I spoke to would buy, would buy yeah. a CD. Other times it was, you know, much bigger grind and, you know, you have to talk to 15 people. And what, were the, what was the does. reason why you were doing this? Was it to earn a pound note or was mm -hmm. it to get your name out of there or both? It was both. Yeah, okay. It was both. So I never, when I was in university, I didn't, I didn't have a job. Um, in fact, I've only ever had one real job in like 
besides what I do now, I've only ever had one yeah. real job in my life. Um, so I was earning an income through it mm. and I was getting my music out there. Mm. And something I did from the very beginning was I always put value on my music. So some people would be like, oh, you should give it, give it away for free. And I was like, no, mm. it, it, co it cost me money to make. It's good. Yeah. Um, this is a proper product. I'm not going to just spend thousands of pounds making this album and manufacturing it and then just go and give it away that that didn't make sense to me yeah. um and you know so there were some musicians who'd be out there you know just giving their cds away but i i clocked from very very early that if you create something of value then you should sell it and also selling it makes people more likely to listen to it mm. because people value right. people value things that they that they've paid for and you know five pounds is not a yeah. It's it's an, it's enough that you're going to take it home and you're going to be like yeah let me put this in the CD player yeah. and give it a listen. So it was for it was for both of those to to build up the name and also to it, it was also my job mm. as well essentially mm. yeah. So where were you moving then? Where were you selling these? What cities were you going to? Mm. I started out in Oxford and London. Mm. Then I started going to Bournemouth and Southampton, and then. After I graduated, so I graduated university in 2007. After I graduated, I put out my second album, which was called The Unknown Celebrity. So then I took a year out and I did my music full time for one year, 2007 up until 2008. And you were living, where were you living then? I was living in Bournemouth at oh, this time, okay. yeah. And I just went, and this is when I started going all over the country. So all the way, and I'd go up, to, I'd go all the way up to Scotland, mm. Glasgow, I'd, I'd go to Wales, yeah. you know, I'd go to East Anglia, Norwich, and. Yeah all over you know, that's when i just I, I would just hit different cities if i was going up north sometimes i'd go for two weeks at a time yeah. and i'd go up and i'd go to birmingham manchester leeds york mm. durham newcastle I, I would just go absolutely everywhere um what did you identify for to go to all these cities to sell cds what was in your mind because <laughs> you and i were in the gym i met you in the gym yeah. when we were training and you're going oh i'm off to uh, edinburgh for five days <laughs> then i'm going to glasgow i was like what are you doing because i'm selling cds on the yeah. streets i was like wow yeah so what would you mean? Like what motivated me? Yeah. The desire, the hunger, hunger to get my, get my music out there. And be independent. And be independent. Yeah. Um, I just knew that that was the way to build my fan base organically. And it was, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of legwork, but I, I don't believe in these things coming, coming easy. Mm. And I, I think as an artist, it's really about one-to-one -one connections, whether you're building those on a direct one-to-one face-to-face basis or at scale. It's not really, um, I think, I think in business entrepreneurship and certainly in creativity, people often view things as this like one-to-one -one relationship, same with even on these days on social media, but it's not. If you have 10,000 followers on social media, that's 10,000 relationships. Mm. If you have a hundred thousand followers, that's a hundred thousand. It's not. It's not. It's not one relationship. Mm. It's not just you and your fans. It's like each individual human being mm. has has some depth of connection with you. So I wasn't just thinking about the the breadth. I was also thinking about the depth. Mm. And it was like, well, each person whom I interact with, mm. that is someone who can now be rather than just a surface level follower. Yeah you know, I can engage with this person on a, on a, on a deeper level. So mm. that's how I thought about it. And even now with everything I do, that's still the way I think. Yeah. It's just that I've been able to, to scale it up to a much bigger level. And, mm. you know, I'm obviously not out there day to day now yeah. selling all my CDs hand to hand, mm. but I'm so glad I went through that process. I mean, over the course of it, I actually sold over 30,000 CDs hand to hand yeah. in the UK. Um, in 2014, I started doing the pop-up shops, which mm. you remember, may mm. remember. Mm. So with my friend Shadow, we ran something called the Blue and Purple Store for about four years. The first one we ever did was in Whiteley's Shopping Center in London, mm. in Bayswater. And then we did one in West Quay in Southampton. And that actually became our sort of temporary home for a while. So every other month, we'd have our little stall in West Quay. And there we could sell not just CDs, but also T-shirts, hats, hoodies. Um, used to have my own brand of headphones, and I'd mm. sell those as well. And so from 2014 to 2018, that was the primary bread and butter. So yeah. every month we do the pop-up shops in different cities. We did probably about 15 in West Key overall. Uh, went to the Oracle in Reading, um, did some of the Westfield shopping centers in Derby and Newcastle, mm. did the Arndale in Manchester, mm. you know, some pretty, some pretty well-known yeah. shopping centers. 
And that was the primary hustle up until 2018. And then that leads up to early 2019. If we just if we just hold you sure. there on that 2019, because I'm loving this journey, mm-hmm. and you're a proper grafter. Yeah. You know, someone to go in all those cities to set up, to have the energy to get up and sell, 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 to get your brand name out there. And you created a, you know, before personal branding really come about, you identified mm. it before most. Yeah. So I saw a Zuby everywhere. Yeah. Zuby brand, Zuby <laughs> brand, Zuby brand. And I'm sure there was a lot of people around you who thought, is he for real? Mm. Tell me a little bit about that, where people doubted you. That's a great question, man. It, it's actually funny because um, to this day, do you know something I get criticized for? And it's something I've always been criticized for. Two things, actually, and they're linked together. One is um, one is self-promoting too much. <laughs> and the other is for wearing my own merchandise. Right. Oh. So when I started out, I first had my I'm down with Zuby or you yeah. T-shirts. You might yeah. remember those. Yeah. Um, and I those those became actually really popular in my mm. university. I made one initially just for myself and then I'd wear it around my college and people would be like, hey, I want one of those mm. T-shirts. So I just started first. I gave them out to a bunch of my friends and I got to a stage where like hundreds of people in the city were walking around yeah. wearing I'm down with Zuby. Yeah. <laughs> I'm down with Zuby T-shirts and I put stickers mm. up. Um, I'd even give stickers to the teenagers in the city mm. and like they'd go put them around their schools and whatever. So, and I was, a, I'm a one man army. Mm. I mean, I still am. Mm. So if I don't promote myself, like who is supposed to, am I just supposed to sit there and wait for some Agreed. magic to happen? Um, and the same with the merchandise. I was always like, well, number one, it's showing people what I've got, but also this is something I've created. I'm proud of it. Mm. Um, why shouldn't I wear my own brand? Mm. Um, and it's funny because everyone who used to criticize me for that, the, the fellow musicians who used to criticize me for that. No, you know, none, none of them are still, none of them are still going. Um, <laughs> Did anyone ever criticize you for having an American accent, yes. being an English person with an American accent, being a rapper here? Yeah, a lot actually, a lot. Um, and I think it's one reason why in the UK, within the sort of UK music industry, I've never really been like properly embraced as a British artist. Um, it's one of those things that within the UK somewhat, I think within my fan base, it kind of worked in my favor mm. in some ways. And I think with international audiences, it works in my favor to some ways. But one issue is that people have a lot of presumptions, right? So instead of people asking, why does this guy sound like this? They jump to the conclusion that like I'm making, that I'm faking my accent. There are still people to this day who accuse me of like having a fake American accent Mm -hmm. as if like for the 30 something plus years of my life, (laughs) I've been falsifying the way that I talk and the way that I rap. And it's like, that's my voice. I didn't grow, I didn't grow up in England. I'm not from London. I'm not going to sound like Wiley or Dizzy Rascal or Stormzy. Like I didn't grow up there. Mm. Um, And so it's funny because if, if, if I try, if I put on an English accent or I tried to rap in one, like that would be fake. (laughs) That that would actually be, that would be (laughs) me. A posh Oxford accent. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That would be me being fake. So it's just like, look, this is, this is where I'm from. This is how I sound. So yeah, some, some people criticized it. Um, often unfairly. And, um, did that used to hurt you? Um, a little, not, not, not that, that less so more just like the, the general, you know, dude, you suck. Your music sucks. You're crap. You should get a, get a day job. You're never going to do this. You're never going to do like that stuff is, but honestly, I, one thing about selling on the street is I did, you build a thick skin. Very, of course. You build a thick skin quickly. Mm. You get used to rejection, right? Rejection is the norm. As mm. I said, you know, majority of people don't stop, mm. let alone buy something. Mm. So rejection, you know, I was getting rejected hundreds mm. of times a day, every day in different ways, shapes and forms. Mm. Normally not in a, in a rude way. Mm. Occasionally, you know, if you go out and talk to a couple hundred thousand people, some of them are gonna be yeah. pretty nasty. Um, so great resilience, right? It builds amazing resilience. Mm. And Mm. one of the most common questions I get now is, you know, now I've, now I've got a much bigger following online and everything, you know, it's, Oh, how do you deal with the hate? How do you deal with the criticism? And it's like, dude, like compared to the numbers I've got compared to compared, well, compared to what I used to do where you're dealing with people face to face, like the online stuff is that that's what, that's water for ducks back. Yeah. That's, that's easy. Um, so yeah, the criticism is, is, is hard, but it, it, builds this strength it's like it's like reps in the gym mm. you know it's literally like each repetition you get that little bit stronger a yeah. little bit more resilient 
you know you've been through it before mm. and you know you as long as you keep your focus on the goal and mm. know what you're trying to achieve one mm. thing with me is from my late teens i've been very clear on what my path in life what what i want to achieve in this world and that is to have a po be a positive inspiration mm. and motivation to millions of people mm. through my words and actions mm. and that's been my since i was 18 19 that's been my goal. When I left my, you know, I, I actually skipped over. I, I worked in the corporate world from 2008 to 2011. Mm. I used to be a management consultant. And when I left my job in November 2011 and started doing everything else, I, it was, it was because of that goal. Mm. I was like, you know what, sitting, sitting at this desk, I, I can't, I'm not going to have an impact on millions of people in the way that I want mm. to. So the corporate world, Jesus. So yeah. Damn. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I knew it was glad you got out. I knew it wasn't for me, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, and something I'm good at is self-reflecting and being honest with myself and not going along with something just because other people are, mm. or because it's the easiest route. It's mm. like, you know what? I'm jumping out of this and I'm going to go do something that's actually a lot harder. Yeah and has less guarantees. Yeah. Obviously, I'm cutting off my mon my monthly yeah. paycheck that I'm getting at the end of every yeah. month. But you're free. And yeah, but I, but I'm free and I know I'm I know I'm going to succeed. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but it just like if you're running a if you're running a marathon and you keep as long as you keep putting one foot in front of the other, mm. you'll finish. Mm. Um, I can totally relate to you about being on the streets. I was on the flyering for 10 years. Okay. You know, I had 12 nightclubs every week. You're yeah. out there flyering, talking to people. You got 20 seconds, bang, 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 to get mm -hmm. them into your club, mm -hmm. you know, and that builds huge resilience. It does. You know, and it builds quick relationships. Yeah. And you get, you just get really good with people. Yeah. I think one of the, one of the most underrated skills in this world actually is being good at communication. 100%. Being good at talking being good at writing, mm. being good at reading and reading comprehension, being good at listening. Yeah. And through everything that I've done, I've really, really built up those skills. Yeah. I mean, when, when I do a lot of interviews now, something I can always look in the comment people and say, man, this guy's articulate. This guy's yeah. so eloquent. It's yeah. like, dude, I've, I've spent so much time Practicing. talking. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I've been talking and rapping and performing and doing interviews and podcasting yeah. and all this. Like I've just got thousands and thousands and thousands of hours under my belt now. And um, that's great because we, no matter what you do and who you are, mm. you're going to interact with people mm. in this world. And if you can navigate this world, being good at listening to people and being good at expressing your ideas in a clear way, it's mm. kind of like a superpower. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Just roll back. You mentioned 2008 there. Tell me about the police incident mm -hmm. in Bournemouth. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, so I'd been out actually selling my CDs in Southampton. Um, which was one of the cities, because I was living in Bournemouth. Southampton was one of the cities that I go to pretty much every week. And um, I'd just been out doing my usual thing, selling my CDs, passing out flyers, promoting my music all day. And I got went to Southampton train station, hopped on the train, uh, came out at Bournemouth as usual. And when I came out, I did notice as the train was pulling up that there were a lot of armed police officers there. So I thought, mm, maybe there's some type of you know, heightened security alert, you know, terrorist threat or something. I don't know exactly what. So it's just something I observed as the train was pulling up. And then I come out of the train and I actually saw one of my friends and I, I just said hi to him. And then next thing is like within three, four seconds of coming off the train, I just hear like, you know, get back, you know, stand back. Da, da, da. And I'm like, whoa, like what's going on? There's this commotion. And then someone pushes and then one of the police officers pushes me backwards towards the train. And I look up and I've got five guns trained on me. You're joking me. Right? One, two, three, four, five. These police officers holding their rifles all aimed at me. And, you know, put your hands up in the air. Get down on the ground. Get down. And I have no idea what is going on. Yeah. So it's just like, autom you know, kind of an automatic response, right? Uh, you know, put your hands up in the air. Da, da, da. They whack these handcuffs on me. The guy says, you're under arrest for a section one firearms offense. My brain, I have no, it, it felt very surreal. Yeah, I'm sure. It felt really surreal. I was like, is this, this is a weird dream. Yeah. Like I'm going to, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be like, whoa, that was weird, but it was real. Um, they, they marched me off to, to, to one of the rooms, just like on this, on the side of the station. And I'm there with maybe three or four officers and they're asking me, they're asking me all these questions. It was, it was quite, the, the station was quite busy at the time as well. So of course everyone's like, whoa, like what is, yeah. 
what's going on, right? Because yeah. especially, I think, especially here in the UK, because most the police don't have guns, right? So they they specifically sent out the, the firearm mm. units, mm. right? So I don't know if, you know, people must have thought I was like Pablo Escobar or something. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm in, and then I'm in there and they're, they're asking me all these questions and whatever, and I don't know what they're talking about. They're talking about some, uh, you know, threatening someone with a firearm in Basingstoke and uh, this and that. I haven't been to Basingstoke. <laughs> I, mean, like, I haven't been to Basingstoke that day. Obviously, I've just been out selling my music and, you know, I'm telling them this. I'm standing there in these handcuffs and they're asking me all these questions and, you know, looking through my bag, you know, what's in your bag? I was like, CDs and CDs. flyers. <laughs> and, you know, like, I'm telling them about myself. Uh, you know, I, this is, I'd only been out of university for a few months at this time as well. So I'm telling them like, yeah, you know, uh, my name is, you know, I'm an independent artist. I've been selling my CDs in, 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 Southampton, in Southampton Town Center. You know, I went to Oxford University recently and got my degree in computer science, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you know me, I'm very, I'm very polite, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I can already see in their faces, they're kind of like, this doesn't seem like the kind of person who would, you know, thr chase someone around Basingstoke with a gun, right? <laughs> but they, but once, but they, you know, they, once, I think once they start the process, they kind of have to yeah. go along the whole thing. So anyway, after this questioning, they, um, they, they, you know, they took me around to the other side of the station. You know, I have to get in the police car with them as we're driving to the Bournemouth police station. You know, they're still asking me certain questions. And one of the, I remember one of the guys said something along the lines like, I think at this point, the two guys I was in the car with knew they had their own person. Yeah. Uh, one of them said something like, this, he said something like, this doesn't seem like the kind of person who, he kind of, you know, muttered to his colleague, yeah. this doesn't seem like the kind of guy who'd uh, do such and such. <laughs> and then, you know, I got to the station. I was in there, for, you know, I had to, you know, give them my name and whatever. I'm standing there just waiting, still in the handcuffs. And then about 10 minutes later, someone comes out and is like, I am so oh, no. sorry. Um, you know, mistaken identity, got the, you know, nabbed the wrong person. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they took the handcuffs off me, offered to drive me back home. I actually just got them to take me to the train station because my van was parked there. Yeah. And then I went back home and I, you know, my, and I was, you know, staying with my parents at the time. And I was just like, mom and dad, you're not going to believe what just happened. And then the police came, you know, to the house and, you know, were apologizing to my family mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of just going through this whole thing. And then, and then it got weirder because this incident then became a big national news story. Mm. So the following day I was on the front cover of the Metro, you know, mm. the free, the free newspaper in mm. London. So I've got friends who were working in London and, and everyone's like, you know, cause some people have seen this, but the first day it didn't show me because they weren't sure who I, I hadn't been identified at the time, but mm. it had a picture of me like lying down with, you know, a gun to my head basically. Mm. And it was like, you know, uh, commuter uh, incident in Bournemouth or whatever. And then the following day, my face was on the cover. So I was on the front of the Metro two days running. And then by this stage, there's all these like police, uh, sorry, uh, media vans and reporters and stuff outside our house who all want to interview me and talk to me. And I'm just, I, I don't like, I don't want this. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't really want to, you know, like this thing happened and it, it sucked and it was weird, but like, I don't really want to go talk to mm. dozens of newspapers about it. So that whole follow-up was just very, it was very weird. Mm. Um, and at this time, you know, I'd, I'd never had really any type of like media attention or anything, let alone for something that, so random yeah, and which had nothing, you know, had nothing to do with my music or what, mm. what I'm actually about. Mm. It'd be like, man, I wish you guys were here to talk about my new album. <laughs> um, so that, that was that. And then, um, there was a, there was a whole ind independent police commission investigation into it. Any compensation? The next few months. No, okay. no. Um, and you know, I found, I found out what happened. You got access to all the, the transcripts and the voice recordings mm. and things like that. It, it took a few months for it all to kind of play out because I didn't want to jump the gun on what happened. I wanted to understand like what actually happened. How did they make this mistake? Mm. And it was actually a, a, a crossover and lots of miscommunication between three different police departments, Hampshire police, British transport police and Dorset police were all involved in this. And essentially, in short, what happened is that um, earlier that day in Basingstoke city center, uh, two guys had gotten into an altercation and one of them had, uh, you know, threatened the other one with what looked like a firearm. Turned out it was actually a fake gun. But so this was caught on CCTV in Basingstoke by Hampshire police. And then they said they last saw the suspect going towards 
uh, Basingstoke train station. So they alerted British Transport Police. And then a, a couple hours later, they see me at Southampton Station. And somehow they think, okay, mm, we're not sure. At this point, they're like, eh, we don't know if this is the guy, but maybe. So they had a couple plainclothes officers on the carriage with me. And then this train is going into Bournemouth. So their plan was to, to stop the train at Bournemouth mm. so that you know people would disembark. But somehow in this communication, one of the police officers gave my description as the suspect rather than the original description. So through the miscommunication, I've now become, I've now become the suspect, mm, Okay. right? So they've now given them, Dorset police are running off incorrect information. Yeah, okay. So they're running mm. off the, in, it, they're running off the description of me being the person who initially did this incident yeah. back in Basingstoke yeah. wearing what I'm wearing and everything. Mm. So in their minds, they're, they're then acting as if yeah. like, okay, this guy is armed yeah. and dangerous. Yeah. And this is the guy they saw on CCTV and so on. Mm. But it was actually the error of one of the other, two of the people really yeah. in the Hampshire and um, BTP mm. who had messed up the communication. Mm. So it was this like weird, weird freak accident. Um, but I was unharmed and I'm glad I just responded the way that I did. And I often say to people, I hope no one, no, goes no, that. no one goes through that. <clears throat> but if you are, I always say to people, if you ever do just, just, just comply, Yeah, comply and sort it out later. Yeah. Don't try to, don't try to run. Don't try to fight the police. Don't try to like, you're not outrunning a bullet. So mm. just comply and be angry. So, so roll, rolling on, you absolutely exploded mm. on social media, identifying as a woman. <laughs> Doing a deadlift. Tell yeah. me about that. And did Joe Rogan picked up on it and invited you onto his show? Yeah. So February 26, 2019. The timing of this was actually remarkable because uh, my friend who I was running the pop-up shops with for the past four years wa wanted to step away from it and focus on some other stuff. So I was running a pop-up shop by myself in Derby, uh, Darby Shopping Center into Darby. And it was the first one I'd done by myself. And uh, I was there thinking, hmm, what's like, what's my next move? Yeah. I've been doing this now. You know, I did my street, I was selling on the street 10 years for almost, yeah, you know, mm. for like 10 years. Mm. And then I've been doing this pop up shop thing for three and a half, four years. What's the next move? Mm. What's that next thing I can do? And um, it was early and it was like 9.30 a.m. or something like that. The, the, it, the, the shopping centers don't tend to pick up until mm. 11, 12 o'clock. So normally that first two hours, you're kind of just milling around, not doing much. And I was, I was swiping through my phone and um, I, I saw in, in, that, in that same morning, I saw multiple stories in the USA of um, <laughs> male athletes who, you know, were or claimed to be transgender who had smashed um, multiple records in athletics. And I'd seen this issue actually for the past couple of years. Like it really came on my radar maybe around 2016. And I was like, this, this is silly. Like this is, this is nonsensical. And I was like, out of curiosity, I was like, I wonder what the British women's deadlift record is. Like I've got a, I've got a strong deadlift. Like I wonder, I wonder what the women's powerlifting records are in the UK in my weight class. And I, I Google searched it and I think it was 210 kilos was uh was was the deadlift record and i was like i can smash that like, I, I, i've pulled 275 before mm. and i actually had the video the video that went viral was already on my phone from one of my training sessions the previous year so i just took this video and i just put a tweet out saying i keep hearing about how biological men have no strength advantage over women in 2019 so watch me destroy the british women's deadlift record without trying p.s i identified as a woman whilst lifting the weight don't be a bigot and <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just put that out there. I had 18,000 followers at the time. And I just put it out there thinking, you know, this will get a few laughs. You know, I was kind of chuckling to myself yeah. as I wrote it. I didn't, I didn't think it was yeah. going to. And then within a few minutes, I was like, I don't know what I've done, but something is happening here. Because the numbers just can't get. Within 10 minutes, I had 10,000 views. Wow. And then 20. 30, 50, within an hour, it had about 80,000 views. And it just kept going all day, going, going. And I was seeing, it started getting retweeted 
by some really high profile people in different countries, mm. right? Because you're looking through the notifications, it's like, Piers Morgan retweeted this, so-and-so retweeted this, this, so, and it just kept going. People were commenting in different language. I was just, by the time I went to, by <laughs> evening, it was at 300,000 views. I wake up the following day, half a million, oh and it just keeps going and going and going. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is insane. And my follower count just keeps going up mm. and up and up. I, I hit 20,000 very quickly, mm. 25,000, 30,000, it just keeps going. And this continues for, for days. Mm. This continues for, for weeks, in fact. Mm. So even after I finished doing the shop and everything, like I'm all distracted as well, because I'm just trying to keep, you know, keep up with everything yeah. happening. And then um that same week I started getting contacted by media channels. You know, BBC contacted me and said, Oh, we'd like to chat to you about this on BBC Radio. We've seen your viral video. Like, let's chat about this. Uh, the Sunday Times wrote an article on it. Um, I start getting people reaching out in the USA, like Fox News and so on. And then one day I wake up and my phone is blowing up mm. and everyone's like, yo, Joe Rogan just talked about you on his podcast. Like Joe, I was just like, wait, like what is, what is going on? And then I, I go on his most recent podcast, uh, which he'd done with Brian Callen and they did a whole, they did, they did a whole sort of two minute section where they, they, they're doing commentary on the video and they're laughing at it. And you, Joe, Joe gives me a big shout out and then he starts following me and I go on Twitter and I've got a DM from Joe Rogan saying like, dude, that's the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> like, like that was brilliant. Yeah. And he's now following me. And so this, it's like a snowball. Yeah. It just kept going. Um, I mean, the videos got, got over 3 million views now just on Twitter, let alone on other platforms. Mm. And I started getting, um, just opportunities to to talk to a big range of different people. And because of all this prior work, which I've put in, what happened was that the, it wasn't just that the tweet went viral, I went viral. Mm. Tweets go viral every day, mm. but normally the person behind it, it's kind of a one hit wonder. Yeah. Like they just have that one and it's funny and it's interesting, but there's not much behind the person who did it. In this case, it was a flashpoint for people to then dig deeper. So the, the, that tweet brought them in and then they were like, wait, hang on, this guy's interesting. Yeah, This guy's interesting, wait, where's he from? Oh, wait, he's a rapper. Oh, he's okay, I'd started my podcast by the time. Okay, he's got he's got a podcast, he's, he's you know got some interesting stuff out there. He's got all these videos on YouTube and so on. So it was it was this catalyst for a lot of people to, to discover the various aspects of what I do. I then ended up writing and releasing my book, uh, Strong Advice, Zuby's Guide to Fitness for Everybody. I put that out, I think, in June 2019. Mm. And so then that aspect was going. And then I got the opportunity to um, go out to the USA. So I f first got booked by uh, my friend Dave Rubin, who runs the podcast, The Rubin Report, which is like a big sort of sociopolitical show. Um, he was in LA at the time, and he invited me to come on and do his show in September. And so I also DM Joe Rogan and I was like, hey, Joe, I'm going to be in L.A. Is when he was still in L.A. I yeah. was like, hey, I'm going to be in L.A. In, in September. It would be an honor to do your podcast. And he was like, hell yeah, like definitely. <laughs> like, let me know when you're here. And so I was like, wow, OK. Uh, so I got booked for Rubin Report. Then I got booked for Joe Rogan. And then it, it, it just continued to snowball. I ended up staying in the USA for about two and a half months. Mm. Ended up going to 15 different cities. I did a lot of big podcasts on there, of course, Ruben Report, The Joe Rogan Experience, um, Ben Shapiro and the guys at The Daily Wire reached out to me and I did a big interview with Ben Shapiro. And then, you know, Fox News reached out to me for multiple shows. And I, I, I man, I, I did, I think, one about 50, about 50 plus interviews. So wow. th those are some of the major ones, but I was all over LA, Nashville, Dallas, Austin, just, you know, New York City. I got invited to the White House. Did you? Twice. Yeah, I went to the White House <laughs> twice when I was in Washington, DC. I got invited to the Pentagon. Like, I, it, it was a, 2019 was this crazy year, yeah. right? Like, I started the year like, uh, like, what am I, what, what, yeah, what, what am I going to do? <laughs> What's the next thing? And then next thing I know, I'm building like hundreds of thousands, like at this stage, I mean, by the time I went out to the States, I probably had maybe across the different platforms, maybe about 200,000 followers mm. by this point. Um, and it just- What it, are you sitting on today? About 1.3 million. Wow. Yeah. Um, and it just kept growing and going. And then I was supposed to go back out to the States again in, in 2020, but um, there was a little disease floating mm. around, which uh, shut, shut down the world. Mm. So 2020 and 2021, I really just doubled down on um, my book and my podcast, and I was still doing lots of interviews. And 
Um, what were you interviewing about? What were you being interviewed about? So uh, when, when this when this all first kicked off, mm. it was primarily about the the video itself yeah. and this whole issue of you know uh, transgender and transgender sports yeah. conversation. You know, should males who identify as female, males who identify as women be allowed to compete with? Them? I think it's bizarre. I mean, even three years on, it's still a debate that, Crazy. Rages, that, that rages on, which is crazy to me, but it was such a hot button issue. And I think also because the Olympics was supposed to be in 2020. Yeah. So there was actually a lot of conversation about at that time around okay. what should the rules about this be? And because of the nature of the issue, it's a bit of a landmine. Yeah. And so people had been like- Shall I talk about it? Yeah. <laughs> people had been <laughs> skirting around it and everything. Yeah. And then I just put out this video and people are like, Whoa! Like yeah. this, like this is this is kind of crazy, and so it all started with that, and then ten I, years to be an overnight success. Yeah, even more than ten, man. Yeah. Really, like thirteen. Fair play to you. And then, um, yeah, and and then I think people quickly discovered I'm I'm a person who can talk about quite a lot of different things. Yeah. So it most it started out with that one thing, but yeah. then it kind of expanded into wider. You know, conversations about like you know, like like we're talking now, from yeah. my music career to what's going on in the world, yeah. to um, you know, politics and social issues and cultural stuff, just all sorts of things, all sorts of things. Um, every interview was was and still is is very different. Mm. So it was just a great opportunity as well because another thing that's interesting about it is all the years grinding with my music, I always. I always knew that my biggest potential audience was in the USA. But as an, I mean, it's hard for a rapper who's got, you know, multi-million pounds backing them and big record labels and all of that. It's hard for them to yeah. crack the USA. Yeah. And so as a solo independent rapper in the South of England, I was like, man, I'd love to get on, you know, do more stuff in the USA, but how, how do I do that? It's a mm. gigantic country. Mm. It's so broad, and so it was very serendipitous because this is—it was such an, a weird way to to crack into that market and start building a following there. But that's just that's just how it happened. And now my biggest audience is in in the USA. Now that's actually wow. the, the country where I'm best known. I'm better known now in the US than I am in the UK. Um, Fits in perfectly with your. With your American accent as well. Yeah. So. Amazing. Full circle. <laughs> yeah. Literally so it's full been, circle. Uh, yeah. And, you know, right now things are just this ex exciting and interesting place. Tell me about your experience. What's Joe Rogan like? He's exactly the same in real life. Yeah. He's the same. He's he's awesome. He's a great guy. Very, very kind. Uh, he's, he's the same. Mm. He's the same. It was weird. It was really weird when I first did his podcast. I've done it twice now, but the first time was very strange because... Uh, did you smoke a joint with him? No, I don't smoke. Don't smoke. No. Did he smoke a joint by himself? Uh, maybe before the show, before but so not during. <laughs> <laughs> I have Red a eye. I had a feeling. I have a feeling that before the show, he may have. Um, but yeah, it, it was funny when I met him because you know when you we live in this strange time where you often know somebody online before you before you actually yeah. meet them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'd been listening to his show for many years. I, I felt like I kind of already knew him in a way. So when I met, it was. It was cool because it was like, yo, like this is Joe Rogan right here. But it was also oddly familiar. Even when I was in the podcast studio, it's like I've seen the studio on my phone yeah. or on my laptop screen so many times. And now I'm the person who's yeah. sitting who's sitting in this chair and I'm just right across from him. So it was a little bit of a trip, but it was also oddly comfortable mm. because it was oddly familiar, even though I'd never been to Los Angeles before. Mm. I'd never been there before. I'd never met these people before, but suddenly I was there. And, uh, you know, honestly, God bless that man. Like he's, he's been, he's been so good to me and a lot of other people. Um, I actually was out for dinner with him when I was in the, in Austin just a couple months mm. ago, he invited me to one of his comedy shows. Then we went out and got some food and he, he's a genuine, a good guy, he's genuinely a good guy. Yeah. yeah. And you, you see, especially now with the media, there have been multiple times when they're trying to, you know, come after him and demonize him and make yeah. him out to be something that he's not and whatever. Um, and no, he's 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 a good guy who wants to help people mm. seek the truth. Um, and he's given so many wonderful people a platform. The amount of people that I even now know and follow and respect who actually I originally discovered mm. 
through his podcast is is phenomenal. He must be the most connected person. Yeah, definitely in the world. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I love that word there. That he wants to know the truth. Mm. Everything that he talks about, give me the truth. Yeah, yeah. That's all it is, mm. you know. And and I'm similar. And we we live in this time where that's people are so hungry for that. Yeah, people are so hungry for that. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, with a lot of the corporate media now over the last, you know, it's been going on for longer, but I'd say especially over the past six to seven years, mm. they haven't been so interested in that. Mm. You know, mm. it's all about pushing a narrative, mm. pushing an agenda, aligning with a certain you know, political party or viewpoint or something mm. rather than just, okay, well, what's, yeah. let's just try to get to the, the truth, yep. right? Not sure, you know, everyone has little biases in different mm. ways, but it was it. It's just so partisan. It's mm. it's actually worse in the U.S. Like mm. the, the the media there is. It's so partisan. There's how no, how do you earn your money today? Mm, a, a range of things. Mm. So I've got five main <laughs> main main jobs. There's mm. five main pillars of what I do. So of course there's the music yeah. and everything involved with that. From but that's not easy to earn money in music apart from live these days. It's not easy, but it's you you have to change with the times. Mm. So, I mean, many years ago, I started actually earning more from my merchandise yeah. than my music sales directly. Yeah. Um, but there's all the there's all the avenues within music. I'd include merchandising in that as well. And then I have my podcast, Real Talk with Zuby, um, which earns money through sponsorships and you know also YouTube yeah. views and things like that. Then I do public speaking. So recently, I mean, just last month, I did events in. Miami, Tampa. I spoke at Texas A&M University. I spoke at Oklahoma University. I saw. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be in Nevada soon. And I've got something in New York City in mm. June as well. And What but, do you talk about? A range of stuff, man. It's like... It's Someone like, will book you and say, right, Wazubi, we're going to pay you three grand, five grand, whatever it may be. More, but yeah. And more, is it? Is it? <laughs> yeah. Is it all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good for five, you, Five mate. figures, yeah. Yeah, five figures. Um, happy days. Happy days. Dollars. Dollars, yeah. Um, what do they, they say? Right, we're going to pay you ten grand plus dollars mm. to come and talk. We want you to talk about X. Yeah, it's normally pretty pretty down to me. Mm. Um, they kind of give me just creative reign, and I've done a few talks on. So in 2021, I actually had a viral, very viral thread on Twitter. Uh, it got over 15 million views. It was called 20 Things I've Learned About Humanity During the Pandemic." And that went super crazy viral. And I actually turned that into a talk. So at like both the universities I spoke at last month, I did a talk when I went, I went through these 20 points and expanded on them mm. and gave some, you know, I ideas and advice based off of them on how people could navigate the world mm. better and think more critically and things just to be aware and cautious mm. of. So I've done some talks on that. Um, I spoke at a Bitcoin event in Miami. Do you so, invest in Bitcoin? Yeah, yeah. I've been in Bitcoin since 2017. Mm. So that was like a completely different, mm. you know, completely different thing. Um, I've done talks on, um, sometimes I, I often freestyle my talks. Mm. So some, Best way. Yeah. So I don't always pre-plan them. Mm. I did an event in Tampa recently and one in St. Louis where, uh, do you know Candace Owens? No, Any chance? No. Candace no. Owens is a very well-known conservative pundit and podcaster and personality in uh in the usa she's a you know young black american woman like very very smart and yeah. sharp uh she has a foundation called blexit and um i spoke <laughs> i spoke at two of their events in st louis and um in tampa florida and that talk was actually just really about so of course this, this is an Amer american audience and it was really actually highlighting some of the some of the things that make the USA unique what what's interesting about the panel there were a range of different speakers and I was actually the only non-american mm. speaker so given my background and where I've grown up and how I've grown up and where I come from I tend to have a different view mm. on a lot of different things I think it's why a lot of people are just interested in my commentary about yeah. a lot of things because I, I just come from a slightly different angle yeah. so being someone who's who's from the uk but who knows the usa well who grew up in the middle east yeah. and has family originally from nigeria mm. i would i basically just did a talk on some of the things that i think americans take for granted mm. 
and some of the things that are very special about the USA and unique about it that, that people should you know value and also some of the things that they could do better. Um, you know, there are things that I love the USA and I love the UK. Um, there are things I think the UK does better than the USA. Mm. There are things I think the USA does better than the UK mm. overall. And oftentimes, if you, if you, especially if you grow up and you live your life just in one place, mm. that's all you know. Yeah, mm. you, you don't really get this wider. Mm. So you're coming in from a completely different view. Yeah, of experience of both. Yeah. Would you class yourself as an influencer? Um, I don't like the word. Nor but, do I. But, but everyone seems to use it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like the word, but I, I'm an influential person. Mm. I'm an influential personality. Um, mm. I've got you know millions of people who see what I say and and write and who are interested in it. Mm. So I guess so. Um, yeah, I, it's, I don't normally call myself that because mm. it just feels a little, yeah. yeah. It does, but, it? yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Do you know what's, what's great looking back when we first met in the gym and then you used to host our Urban Tent yeah. at Bournemouth Sevens Festival? Mm -hmm. How was that for you? Did you enjoy that? I loved it, man. Yeah, yeah, I loved it, man. And, and thank you for the opportunity to, to, to do it. Mm. Um, you know, something I've learned, and I think something that's done done me served me well over the past fifteen years or so, is just uh, you know saying yes to different opportunities um, rather than. I think so many people think they have to limit themselves far more than they need to. Um, even when people ask me what I do for a living or like, what's my career? Like it always confuses people. If I tell them it's like, yeah, I'm a rapper or a public speaker, author, a podcaster, go, they're like, how do you do, yeah. how and why do you do all those things? They're like, you should, you should pick one and just do that. Mm. I'm like, no, why? Like I wanted, mm. I can do them all. I'm good at them all. And I enjoy them all and people find value in them. And I think even more so in this day and age, I think, I think long gone are those days where everyone could just do one thing and specialize like you just, I'm a postman, Yeah, I'm a baker, I'm a blacksmith. Like I think those days are, are, are kind of gone. Mm. I think people my age and younger, you need to be multifaceted and, and quite quite flexible. Mm. Um, you, you can have a primary thing, but I think it's good to have a, a range of things More that you More legs on the table. Yeah, mm, absolutely, great. yeah. You know, if one gets kicked out, mm or you, you lose interest in one, then there are other things to keep you going, even multiple income streams. I mean, mm. I mean, speaking of the past two years, if that had happened just two years earlier, I would have been battered. You would have been better. I would have been battered. Yeah. Oh, battered, battered. okay, yeah. okay. Because I, I was making all my money at the pop-up shops. Yeah. Shut down the, all the malls for a year, mm. nobody going out, mm. nobody to sell to. Mm. I'm, I'm man. Thank God, I had my I had my podcast. I had mm. my I had my book. I had mm. my online coaching. I had other you know no live performances, no public speaking. Mm. So I, I had like two avenues shut, mm. two or three avenues shut down mm. for two years. Um, but I was still able to have my best business year ever because of the other aspects. And now that the world is opening back up and cool, I can get back on the you road and the events back. Being, in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, that that's a good example. I mean, how, I don't know how many millions of people lost their jobs. Mm during 2020 mm. and 2021 and had to make shifts and things like that. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's good for people to have that, ha have that, have that diversity yeah. um, and ability and willingness to be, you know, I'm not saying like, you know, no one should have like a primary job or something like mm. that, right? That, that would be a silly thing to say, but I think everyone should have a side hustle. 100%. I think everyone should have at least one one side hustle. 100%. Um, and start building up those skills because mm. you you you, do, you don't know what's going to happen, mm. and you also don't know what's gonna. You also don't really know what's going to pop. Mm. All right, like true. like as an entrepreneur, you're an entrepreneur, so you don't you don't always know of all these different projects you're doing, mm. or even if you. You're making a range of clothing, mm. right? You're doing some range of t-shirts. We're mm. going to put out these 10 different t-shirts. Mm. You might be like, oh, this one's my favorite. Mm. It could be that one. That one's out selling the public it. public are telling you it's that one. People tell you, yeah. And then like, all of a sudden one. your business pops. Yeah. You know, mm. it, it, challenge, the thing is challenge forces you, it forces you to innovate. Yeah. It forces innovation. And I think that's really what an entrepreneur is. I think an entrepreneur is someone who can innovate not just once. Yeah. But many times, yeah, consistently, right? Oh, yeah. you know, you get this one massive event yeah. every year, and it's yeah. like, oh, we can't do it, yeah, this year, yeah. 
Um, you still got all your staff costs to pay. You mm-hmm. still got your offices. You still, mm-hmm. got, you know, we lost millions on that one. Yeah. But we knew we had the mindset, the optimistic mind mm-hmm. to go right. Now we're going to be creating something new. Here's an opportunity. Innovation. What can we do? And we created uh, a, the festival in the last recession, mm-hmm. 2008. Amazing. When everyone was hiding. Same as this one, 2020. Yeah. We created two new businesses. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of opportunities out there. And people who are in jobs that aren't happy should be looking, like you mentioned a minute ago, creating a side hustle. There's plenty of hours in the day when you get home to be creating something that one day that you could leave your job mm-hmm. and go straight into something that gives you the freedom. Yeah. And oftentimes it's, you know, I, I find most people have knowledge and skills that they themselves severely undervalue. Mm. Um, I did that for a long time because, you know, all this from 2006 to 2019, right? I was, I was like, I'm just a, you know, I'm, I'm a rapper, right? Like that's an intelligent rapper. Yeah. I'm an intelligent rapper, mm. but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a rapper. Like I'm a musician. Everything should be around my music. And then I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm good at, I'm good at talking. Mm. Right. And I like listening to podcasts and I enjoy mm. conversations. I'm going to start a podcast. Mm. Right. So I started my podcast January, 2019. Mm. Um, you know, we've got about 210 episodes now, something like that. I've put, been putting them out weekly. What's it called? Real Talk with Zuby. Real Talk, okay. Real Talk, yeah. And um, so I started that because it was like, well, I can I can do that. So why, why leave it within? Yeah. Let's, let's put that out on the table. Yeah. And then another thing, I mean, I've been going to the gym longer than I've been rapping. Mm. Right? I've got a lot of- Pound new- for pound, you're one of the strongest <laughs> men I've ever seen. Thank you. God's honest. Yeah. I remember you seeing deadlifting and benching. And- <laughs> You were deadlifting like two seventies, two eighties, I think, and then you. Were, I, I remember you seeing on the bench when I was spotting you, one forties, one fifties, one sixties. Was that right? One, 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 yeah. I mean, I've never cracked 150, one fifty. One forty seven is the highest. I've Strong got. boy. Yeah. Um, so I was, that's why I wrote my fitness book. I was mm. like, man, I've got and and for years, for fifteen years plus, people mm. are asking have asked me for fitness advice. Mm. You know, diet advice. Mm lifting advice, training advice. Mm. I was like, you know what? Why don't I just make an ebook? Mm. Let me open a Word document mm. and write, create a short ebook explaining, okay, here's what you need to know about mindset and motivation. Yeah. Here's what you need to know about nutrition. Mm. Here's what you need to know about training. Mm. That book is now sold over 80, it's sold over uh, 8,500 copies mm. with no paid advertising. Mm. Amazing. Right? So that, that book has generated- and it's helped people. Yeah, it's helped Because how people many people are lost over. in the gym? Don't know what to do. They can, yeah. Anyone can go and lift weights, but if yeah. you haven't got the right food going down your neck, exactly. you're not going to get the results you want. Yeah, exactly. So I could have, I mean, I could have written that book seven, eight, ten years ago. Mm. But I was just like, you know what, this year, let me let me not leave all these things Knowledge on inside. the table. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I also, I'll tell you something that, that really, uh, really switched my, my business mindset. Mm is when I stopped thinking about, actually stopped thinking about money. Yeah. And I started thinking of uh, how, how, yeah, how, how can I just help? Mm. And I, I was never like that money focused, to be honest, mm. like even with my music and stuff, but I just thought, wait, okay, what, what skills and knowledge do I have that people need and value? Mm. Everyone wants to get in better shape. Mm. Everyone wants to look better. Everyone, mm. you know, like everybody, like billions mm. of people. Um, yes, and there's, ridiculous amount of stuff out there, right? But no market is saturated, right? Like that means that there's there's a demand for it, mm. right? Like so many people are interested in fitness and in nutrition. And I can explain it in a way that is, I, I think my my strongest power, which links together everything I do, is the ability to communicate mm. in a clear and concise way, mm. even with things that are quite complicated. Mm. So I didn't want to write a book that was, you know, it's going to be a textbook and full of all the jargon mm. and, you know, you need to the name of every single muscle group mm. and all mm. the all the dietary complexities. I was like, you know, I want to write a book that simple. You can read it in a yeah. couple hours yeah. um, and it's just what you actually need to know, right? You, you're someone who wants to lose weight. Mm. Okay, that. read read this, follow this, yeah. it'll work for yeah. you, right? You're trying to get stronger, <laughs> do this, it'll work for you. Mm. Yes, you might have a million follow-up questions. Yes, you can go a lot deeper on all mm. this, but you don't need mm. to know this all. I wrote the book that I wish someone gave me when I was 15 yeah. and was like, you know what? Like, you don't need to read every issue of Muscle and Fitness yeah. and Flex Magazine and yeah. this and that. Like, this is the most important stuff. Follow what that. What year were you in your best nick? Ooh. Because you've gone um, from 
always been super strong, but you've gone going down to the six pack, down to the super lean, <laughs> yeah. then bulking up again. You've gone through that <coughs> process. Where do you feel, what, what stage are you the most happiest? Um, in your physique? Body weight wise, probably around 84, 85. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. It's, it's getting the balance of being strong, good nick, mm -hmm. but not being too lean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I get down to Or the to other like, way, being strong, good nick, and not being too yeah. overweight. Something I've done well, actually, over the past, ooh. I mean, since I was about 19 or 20, I've actually always kept my weight within the same 10 kg range. Mm for that whole period. Mm. So for the past 16 years or so, mm. I've always been within the same 10 kg range. Mm. I've, I've so never stone, gone above or below. So, so stone and a half, uh, yeah. 20 pounds. Yeah, 20 yeah, pounds. Okay. I've always stayed within that range. I've okay. never gone like on the super crazy bulk. I've gotten very lean, but at the leanest, I think I got down to about 80, maybe 81 and a half kilos. I know percent body percent doesn't matter. Mm. Body fat percent. What what rough body percent do you think you got down to? About eight. Eight. That's yeah. Lean. About eight is the lowest. Eight I've is gone. lean. Yeah. Um, but I took a strength hit. I took a strength hit for that, yeah. and I took a mood hit, and I took a lifestyle hit. Yeah. It's the mood hit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's also just I don't like being more. I'm actually way less restrictive than I used to be. Mm. Like when I was in my teens and early twenties, I discipline food. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've I've still got that, but I I, I would stress things that didn't matter. Yeah, right. I, I that's when I thought you know I had to eat every three hours, yeah. um, and you know after a workout I had to have like this specific within thing. an hour. And, Ex exactly <laughs> yeah. right. It's like oh, it's been twenty minutes. Yeah. Like I need to have yeah. my protein shake right now, yeah. and you know I need to yeah. get in a glucose source and this yeah. and that, and then I've learned over time that it doesn't really doesn't matter that really much. matter for me as long as I hit the big stuff. Yeah, the overall daily calories, yeah. the overall protein intake, yeah. the overall macros, and so on, and my training is on point. Yeah, then I'll be okay. okay. And and that served me really well because I travel so much yeah. now. Yeah. So I don't, you know, it would be nice to just be going to the same gym and have yeah. this regular program. But I'm switching time zones. I'm on mm. planes. I'm. It's it's so disruptive. Mm that I need to have that flexibility mm. both in the eating and in the training mm. so that I don't get completely thrown off mm. when I go from the UK to the US or I switch between cities or something like that. And I'm often training at gyms I've never been in before. Um, I mean, I think just this year, I've probably trained in about 30 different gyms. Mm. Yeah. Happy days. <laughs> really, isn't it? Because, yeah. So yeah. where can people find you today? You can find me on all social media at Zuby Music, that is Z-U-B-Y Music. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, all of them at Zuby Music. And you can find my book, my merchandise, and my music at teamzuby.com, T-E-A-M-Z-U-B-Y.com. And then my music and podcast is on all the platforms, mm. Apple, Spotify, and so on. Zuby, I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. Likewise, Dodge. Really, really enjoyed <laughs> it. And you know what? You've had to live in an eventful life. And you know what I love about this is that all the graft you put in of all the days that you might get the knockbacks and the days that you're not wanting to get where you wanted to be. Mm. And in 2019, this popped and yeah. you've just exploded across the US and across the UK. Massive Thanks, respect. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. And, and thank you for... Uh, Man, thank you for believing me early because you, you know, I know, I know you have. Yeah. So I appreciate that. And last thing, that's one thing I love about the way I've done what I've done is that it's been so organic mm. that like I know who's been supporting me. From the early days. <laughs> yeah, Great. I know who's been supporting me and it's all been very sort of, it might look fast to some people, but mm. it's been very, very gradual and there's something nice about that. And I think also it, it keeps you grounded and keeps you humble and keeps you appreciative mm. of every good thing that comes. Yeah, wicked. Zuby, loved it. Appreciate it, Raj. Good luck to you, mate. Thank you so much. Cheers.